1: Today, we're going to talk more about how do you present something well? How do you show up and show the best version of yourself when you're speaking with others? And for that, I got a special guest in that I actually worked with, and I thought I was good at presenting, and I often got feedback on being good at presenting. But uh, I met a lot of speaking coaches and uh, pitch coaches and so on, and often I feel like they don't really bring anything extra. But uh, this person was different, and uh, she could tell me something they couldn't hear first but I could see the feedback from the room when I was speaking and I could feel it was like almost hurting in my jaw because it didn't feel as natural, but it gave a different way of actually speaking. So since then, I was pretty intrigued about, um, learning more about that. And uh, it's Lisbeth holt Jensen. Lisbeth has uh, a company called Voice Incorporated. She's a former actor. She uh, is also former instructor at the Royal Danish, sorry, the, the Royal, yeah, it's the Royal Danish uh, Theatre. And she also used to coach uh, TEDx speakers as well, and in general, she works with so many people on how to get their voice better and how to present their messages well. So Lisbeth, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Lisbeth. How uh, how did you get into all of this uh, voice and uh, speaking coaching?
0: Well, as many things in life, by accident. <laughs> um, Well, it actually began because I, as an actress, was sort of defocused. I wasn't, when I was on stage, I wasn't sort of feeling, I was present. Um, And that was something that I compared with before I got into acting school and then after acting school. So something happened during that time on acting school. And I found out that I was so much focused on technique. Oh, Because, no, no, this is not right. This is the right way of breathing. No, this is the right way of breathing. So in all this search of getting the right sort of technique, I sort of lost myself. Oh. Um, so I tried to be the good actress. But by doing that, I sort of lost my presence. I lost my creativity. I lost my confidence in myself uh, because I always had this judgment. You, this is not right. You need to do it right. So I was sort of beside myself. And then one day on stage, I got this... Moment uh where suddenly it all came back to me um time sort of stopped and i felt that the audience was not judges over me we were together in something we were creating something together and the room was not difficult to speak i knew that when i opened my mouth my voice would fill that room that space with good natural voice and uh, i had this huge feeling of energy so it was sort of a peak flow experience and after that, I went back to my former teacher at the, the acting school and he was the director of of the Royal Theatre. And I said, now I understand what you tried to teach me at school. And then he looked at me and said, why don't you come beco- become a voice coach? Uh, I think that would you would be good at that. And I'm sort of, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a good actress now. And then he sort of, no, try to think about it Um because. When you're coming in that age where you sort of get to about 40, there are no parts for you. I mean, they're all men. Just look at Shakespeare. There's one, two women, perhaps, but rest is men. So, so there's not so many parts for, for people in my gender and in my age. Yep. So I thought, well, maybe I should, before the parts come back, I could go up. And I got curious to see, okay, let's see what's happened there. And I had my old master. I was also... Before that, I was interested in voice. So my own voice, uh, developing my voice. And I had this teacher who was also a voice coach at the Royal Theater. And I went down to him and said, if I tried to become a voice coach, would you help? And he was was a big guy. And he said, wow, do you really want to do it? I will give you everything. I will help you. I will teach you. I will do anything. So I became his student at the... then I began studying at the university to become a, a voice and speech therapist and uh, also took some topics on on rhetorics. So, uh, yeah, I vacuumed the university for everything that had to do with voice. <laughs> yeah. So, and and then after finishing my bachelor, I came back to the Royal theater, and became a voice coach in there. So after two years, I had to teach my former colleagues, telling them how to perform better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Interesting journey. <laughs> But it's so fascinating how we can use our words. And yeah. can not stop thinking about what you just told me about, like, learning all these techniques? then Because I'm starting to facilitate at uh, Camp Tunnel. Okay. And uh, I work with a I called Henrik, who is, like, one of the most skilled uh, facilitators, especially, in, you know, techniques. Mm-hmm. Like, spot on. And, like, I love getting feedback from him because it's, like, using that word or that word if you change that. Yeah. But there's also that um, kind of balance for me of like focusing on someone's techniques mm. and just being there yeah, and being present. And I know like when I'm the best, um, I love to facilitate and teach. And, uh, I'm not thinking at all. I'm all in my heart. And mm. uh, when I'm thinking too much about techniques, I'm not in my heart, so I'm communicating from a different position. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, uh, but that's also the uh, the observation that I made for for the actors, for instance, that if I had an actress, for instance, and, and you could see that 90% of her lines were good, They were there. I could feel that she was present, She, uh, her intonation, her tempo, it was variated, and she didn't hurt her voice by acting or anything. And uh, then the, perhaps it was 10% that was sort of not right, or, or right is the wrong word, but there was something missing. Mm. And then I looked at that and I said, okay, it's not her general technique that is wrong. No. Because then it would be scattered all over. I mean, if, if there was some vowels or consonants that she couldn't say, I mean, then it would be scattered all over. But there was something different. It was in the situation. She was doing something that was not bringing her to that spot where she was in flow. So instead of looking at what is wrong, oh, yeah. the tempo is wrong, that the, the volume is not right, then I looked and said, okay, let's look at what is happening when you have the 90%. Boom. Um, so then I saw, okay, what is there when things are good, when she is in flow and she's present and everything. And then I sort of taking those principles from there and then turning it over to the 10% and say, try to do this. No. Instead of focusing, no, in this line, you need to do, 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 da, 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 and you need to, because your volume drops at the endings and all that, that was technique details. So instead I tried to focus on how can I sort of trick her, hack her to, to do something that will fix those symptoms. Yeah. So instead of focusing on symptoms, I looked at the reasons why we speak clearly and are present. And
1: what are some of those?
0: Uh, that is, uh, for instance, if, um, then you can do that everywhere. So, so for instance, who is the judge of which volume you need to speak with? Yeah. Well, usually sometimes the audience will be the judges saying, okay, no, you need to speak louder because I can't hear you. And then as a speaker, I become sort of defocused and say, okay, someone is judging me. I'm doing something wrong. I need to fix it. And then I become it becomes sort of a performance. You know, I'm doing, can you hear me now? So I sort of shout a little to make sure that that person gets what they want. So I'm sort of, De-focusing because I am fulfilling their need. It's not my need. So try to get that control back. So for instance, if you can hear your own echo, you don't, you're not supposed to listen for what you're saying, but just feel the resonance of your voice in the room that you see, okay, I can feel that my voice bounces back from the walls. And then I know if I can hear myself then the audience can also, because we are in the same room together. Oh. So it, it creates sort of a, a good relationship to the room, but also the audience, because when you listen for your own echo, you will, your, your own body will speak louder in a way that you can do to hold on to and, and be in, because does this feel good? It does. Yes. So I can do that. So it helps you to motivate your body to speak up with a higher volume, because we can speak with a higher volume. We yeah. just let let the body do what it's best at, and instead of focusing on technique, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's so interesting how we get to it because I remember I think that was one of the things you told me that I should listen to my echo. Yeah, and I had a really hard time hearing my echo. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my echo. Yeah, like how do I how do I find that? So like, how do you become more aware of? I'm sitting and thinking about now, can I hear my echo here? like I think I kind of can.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: But how, how do you do that for someone listening?
0: Well, we could, well, there's a practical part. you can change different rooms. You can go into a church because the church has a big echo, and uh, you can walk into a staircase, for instance, or in the bathroom or wherever. And uh, then we then listen for what it sounds like there, so you can sort of explore different echoes. But there's also something physical happening with us when we are sharpening our ears. Because when we really want to listen for something, if we're in a forest and I'm listening for a sound, did I hear something? Or if I'm a parent and I hear, was it my child crying or whatever, then I'm sort of doing something with my body. My body is sort of rising and lifting and I'm actually using some muscles that are connected to my inner ears. And that's connected to the soft palate. So when I'm sharpening my ears, something physical is happening inside of me. And that is helping your voice because when you raise the soft palate, your larynx will lower itself and there will give good space for your voice and so on and so on. So, so if you do not sort of have an echo, you can go for that physical, oh, I'm sort of sharpening my ears so you can get that physical response in your body interesting (laughs) and and that is very also because when you listen for your own echo something happens to our faces because then i'm listening for the human voice and when i'm listening for the human voice our inner ears tunes into that frequency band that is linked to the human voice and that tells me that i'm in a safe social environment so i can shut out noise so that listening for your ears for your echo or or doing that with your muscles opening your face so that you are actually open towards other people you're inviting i'm showing you that i'm in a safe social interaction with you if i shut down you can look at my face and see what happens when i shut down listening for my echo my face does this yeah and listen for what's happening to my voice now can you hear that it's not so resonant and it sort of becomes a little flat, and my articulation becomes a little more flat. But when I'm doing like this, so now I'm just doing that muscular reaction in my ears and my mouth. To uh, then it changes. <laughs> so a very
1: concrete thing that people can actually do in practice is then try and listen for your echo. Yeah, which I now try and do now, and I can actually feel my body changes. Just there's just yeah. like two centimeters of my mm. chest coming up yeah. to listen to my echo.
0: That's, uh, there's a very interesting guy, it's called Stephen Porges, who has uh, done some uh, searching uh, on, on how our cranial nerves, the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus, how it works. And our larynx is invaded by the 10th cranial nerves, so both the, the, uh, the outer muscles and the inner muscles. So And that is linked to our sensation of feeling safe. So if I get nervous or I get scared or something like that, it will shut down and then my body will protect myself. And the most vulnerable part we have here in our bodies are our larynx and our voices or our neck. So it will shut down try to protect. So you see, now you can hear that I'm sort of making a little tension in my voice here because I'm sort of stepping back. I'm tensioning up and that affects my voice. That's why we can hear when people are nervous. Yeah. Because it links oh. to our larynx and to our diaphragm and our breathing.
1: But it's fascinating how you can now become cautious of trying to listen to my voice, mm. and finally, when I to listen to my voice, I just my my uh, my posture changes. Yes,
0: and that's the way I work now. Is instead of telling you, oh, you need to stand up straight, you need to do this, oh, you need to uh, articulate clearly, you need to breathe down there, and uh, nah, 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 nah. So, you see, I scatter in in a lot of details, and we can't cope so many details. So, by focusing on one thing that you can do, let then let the details emerge by themselves. So, I sort of bypass all the details and see what is the reason why your voice should be resonant and clear. Is that when you're safe and you're feeling comfortable, your voice will help you. It will be there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's fascinating also how you get different uh, sounds out. Mm. So again, like going back to Kintu North, I've been facilitating many places, mm. but this is with young kids in this, in, uh, often in, um, in kind of a sports uh, setting, mm. or like what do you call it, um, where you can play football. Yeah. So it's a really big role, right? Mm. And we go for five days, and my voice was starting to like get worn out. Yeah. But then I had to tell a story in a different voice, mm. and I had no problem breaking through. Mm. Suddenly I was speaking from something else and I was like, fighting. but like, suddenly I could speak over the entire room. Yeah. No problems. So I was like, where did that come from? Why couldn't I activate that? Like in other settings, I was like, how, how did I suddenly just get such a powerful voice telling this story? And when I was facilitating some of the other stuff, I was like struggling with some of my voice. Yeah.
0: Well, I do not know what's happening inside of you, no. but I guess would be that when you are facilitating you're very aware of yourself. You're sort of aware of your need to connect to everybody. So you you're sort of a little beside yourself and you're very focused on how you perform. But when you focus on the story, then you're not the important part. The the audience is not, but the story is. So you're actually talking about something. And when we do that, um, our focus goes on the story, about the topic between us yeah so and when we do that suddenly you you, you're not aware of what you're doing you're just telling a story and that's i mean we've been doing that for hundreds of thousands of years but facilitating a workshop in a sports arena or whatever that's something new yeah so you go back to uh, the original reason why we are speaking i've got a very good story i want to tell you yeah so so focusing on on not the words and not the audience, but the reactions on the the content that's the reason why we speak is that my words are not the most important thing, no, it's the reaction in you, so you build the relationship, and when we build relationships, our body says, "Oh yes, now I know why I'm speaking, Yes, yes, it makes sense to me now, and then you find that extra energy into your voice
1: yeah it's fascinating mm. what can you do um, i actually like to go to the advanced stuff because when you have the fundamentals you can find online right but someone like tony robbins mm-hmm. his voice is almost gone yeah and um, how do you avoid if you're someone that gives enough of speeches or facilitate that your voice ends up being like a tony robbins where you can hardly speak right
0: well i do not know what happening to no. tony robbins's voice uh, tony robbins voice, but if you're sort of forcing it, I mean it's muscles and and uh, also sort of um a modified skin on top of that, so for instance, if I'm out in my kayak and I'm going for a long trip, I get what you call those uh, listers listers. Of skin. yeah yeah so because my skin is worn out by too much work, and that could also happen to your voice so so if you sort of shop too long or whatever, it it's like, you know, it, it, you, you wear them up because they get sort of rubbed yeah. against each other. Um, so you can get a lot of things on your voice. And also if you've been shouting at a football match or something like you can get bleedings on your voice and then you can get a little scar there. It, it, that can affect your voice so that it's not coming back to the normal, natural voice. So we need to rule that out. It's yeah. not some, something... No, physically wrong with the voice.
1: But for him, I know it's physically wrong. Like, they okay. took down and measured and saw that he should barely be able to speak any longer. Okay. And they were always like, it's almost a miracle. I don't remember how he explained it, but like, some of the stuff that's apparently supposed to get the voice out through, which yeah. is like so paper thin.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's probably from having taught so long and like speaking mm-hmm. with a voice, it's yeah. too high and so on. It, so, so, it,
0: well, if you not used to speaking in big rooms. i mean then if if i again translate it into some for instance sports yeah if i were to run a marathon tomorrow i wouldn't be able to do that because my muscles are not fit for that and my i'm not fit anyway but that so and then i need to to train my voice so that the muscular strength is there makes sense yeah um but the way that you do it is that we need to take away the strain from the breathing. Because if I'm shouting, I got a lot of pressure from my my uh, breathing. Ha, ha, hey, ah. So if I'm shouting, I'm sort of making a, a very compressed uh, tension in my vocal cords. Oh. So I need to sort of reduce that high pressure on the breathing out so that the vocal cords are not sort of holding back to all that air and it is sort of blown at them all the time. And uh, then there's the other techniques that you can use, uh, but I usually trust that the body can do it oh. uh, on, the, on their own. So we sort of separate. If you're going to speak a whole day in a big room, yeah, you need to be fit. I could feel here after Corona, but I hadn't been speaking to anybody. My voice was sort of, I need to practice a little because yeah. I, I could feel that my muscles were sort of weak. Yeah. So if we separate that, then I think one of the bo- best, uh, advices I've got is listen for your echo, because that will give that physical, uh, connection to your voice, uh, so that you, you use your body to resonate. Yeah. And that's why my company is called Voice Incorporated. It's because you can't sort of have a voice without the body. So so um, to to get a voice that is able to speak loud is that you need to connect downwards. It's I use this metaphor that the higher the mast on a ship, the lower the keel you need to have. So if you need to speak loud, you need to think more down in your body. And uh, well, it becomes a little technical, but actually there's some muscles in your back that is linked to your diaphragm. And you need to use them. And my old master, he said, well, it's like, ha- have that, that balloon feeling. So instead of making sort of ah, like that, I'm pressuring, I need to think outwards. And he had this lovely metaphor. Speaking should always feel as if you're drinking a cold beer on a hot summer's day. So that when you drink a beer, your your throat is open. And where does the beer go? It goes into your stomach and that sort of fills out space. So that you always have this spacious feeling inside of you, that you don't sort of squeak in and make yourself small, but you're big and you're broad. So there you have the voice. Very short.
1: Yeah, got it.
0: Explanation on how to smack up. Yes, you have a tennis ball. Yep.
1: Tell me about that. I love to play with uh, different balls and sports yep. and so on. But yep. uh, there's a special reason for that.
0: Yes, there's a special reason for that. That's because. Um, When we speak, we're so focused on getting the words out um, so that we have a tendency to to forget that body. So uh, what I do is that I take this tennis ball and I ask people to say just one information at a time. And I'll explain later why that is. And then you need to bounce the ball into the floor and then speak the nanosecond the ball touches your hand. Not before, not after. Right on that spot where it touches your hand and then something happens to the speaker's voice because what is happening is that the person is so focused on catching the tennis ball and catching a tennis ball is actually quite complex you can't sort of go strategically to that task you just need to be in the moment and go with the flow when we speak, we have a tendency to say, "Okay, now I do this. Now I need to do do, and I think I can speak strategically. I think I can make a plan. Say, oh, Now I need to take a pause. I need to think of three seconds, and then I need to do And then my tempo is not too high, not too low. I need to look to the left. I need to look a little to the right. So I sort of make a plan. a sort of Excel sheet where I need to. She's, yes, done that. Da 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 da. So I'm focused on details. But when I'm catching a tennis ball, I can't do that. So I'm sort of disrupting people. So when you catch the tennis ball, what is happening is that your body is dynamic. So it is moving. When we get nervous or we have this focus, now I need to perform, we have a tendency to tense up in our bodies. It becomes static. So I sort of provoke people to be dynamic. And then the focus on the tennis ball is that you get a good intonation in your voice and your breathing becomes free because the body is moving and so focusing on the tennis ball, not on breathing and speaking. So body first, words afterwards. And that will bring that sort of adequate breathing. And also something happens to the intonation. That is the difference between now I prepared this speech, I put all my lines and I made everything. So it can make any manuscript sound spontaneous.
1: Interesting. So that's I have, to, I, uh, I, have a, uh, I have three of them at work.: Yeah. I have to uh, practice with that. Mm. So that's another way of actually practicing yeah and becoming more natural.
0: Yeah, but then I mean, the exercise doesn't do it by itself. You need to be aware of what is happening. Yeah so. So that you see, okay, the principles of catching a tennis ball, what is that? Is that when you catch a ball, you are ready to react. You're not acting. You're not throwing the ball away. No, you're catching something. You're reacting. And for me, when we speak of charisma and presence and all that, I'm so bold. I'm saying, I don't care what you do, because that's not what's interesting. It's what you are able to do. That's catching my attention so that when I sort of transform that tennis exercise, tennis ball exercise, I need to take the principles. I need to say, okay, I'm ready to react now. So if anyone at the audience in love to me would catch a tennis ball to me, I should be ready to catch it. If someone, if I translate, when you take the word, speak out, you become the leader in that moment. So I donate my attention in your arms and you sort of pay me back by showing me trust. And if I sort of take that to an extreme, that if you're a leader on the savannah, wherever we once were, and you are guiding me, trust to me is that if I fall, you will catch me. So when someone takes the word or conquer the room and, you know, I want to speak, That is, don't worry, I will catch you all. I will guide you safely. So, and that is what happens to us because we have this, just the mere idea of being physical will affect our whole Mm. body. So that I'm ready to react. If anybody does anything, I will respond to you. And that's presence. And that is also helping the voice to become connected because you are connected to yourself. I can't connect to you if you're not connected to you. I mean, if you were as a speaker that's not connected mm. to yourself, yeah, how can I connect to you yeah, as an audience?
1: Yeah, that's that hard thing where you feel like someone authentic or not. Mm. Yeah, Do you feel them when they're speaking, right? Yeah. And that's at least what I feel for myself often when I teach. And I think that's probably why I normally get I get much, I normally get positive feedback. Mm. Um, I have a harder time practicing speaking because part of me speaking is connecting to the audience and taking in. So I, I wouldn't say I hate but I, can't, I, I dislike the practicing having to say the things yeah. because it's a very different physical re- reaction that when I'm speaking with a crowd, like I'm no longer in my head. I'm in my body, but where if I'm practicing, then I'm just in my head practicing saying the words and trying to do like some kind of act.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, because when we practice, I mean, it's meaningless. And our whole brains and body says, what are you doing? This sounds awkward. What, stop it, stop it. So we have this small dabble from our shoulders and it sounds awful. And then we are sort of defocused. So actually what I've done uh, is I'm not focusing on practicing. You can do that. I don't, you can do whatever you want to. I'm sort of focusing, what can you do in the moment when you're there? To help yourself to be present. Yeah. Um, And how can we strengthen that link to the audience? Because practicing is really awkward.
1: It is. But I also feel it's important. So you know what you're going to say. So I get into the point that you know your material well enough. So you know, like these are, for me, I kind of feel like roots. Like I have to touch on these like bullet points Mm -hmm. more than write the entire thing because remembering an entire script doesn't work for me. But I do need to remember kind of my my path yeah and then a few corner symptoms like this sometimes if you say it in a specific way mm. people will react to it another yeah. way right
0: yeah and then as an actress i know how hard it is to learn a manuscript by heart yeah and the, the then the other part is how to make it come alive as if you're saying it for the first time in your life yeah i mean that's the difficult part but the way you can practice at home uh, when you have that you you practice your script or saying the, the key lines or whatever, is that you can also trigger your brain to sort of imagine that you're speaking with someone. So for instance, the echo, you could also use that when you practice, does this sound right? Does it make sense to me? But you can also imagine that you are speaking with someone and having this focus on, it's not your words, but it's reaction. Yeah. And. As an actress, if you're on a film screen or wherever, you don't have that, your co-writer, co-actor on the other side. So I imagine that I'm talking with someone and you can actually do that to yourself when you're practicing. And the exercise is also a little exaggerating because we need to exaggerate to find out what's happening underneath. So when I'm speaking with you, I'm looking at you expecting a reaction. So while I'm speaking, I'm looking at you and I'm sort of transmitting, are you with me? Do you get it? So I have this non-spoken intention underneath everything I say. So if I have a text that I'm practicing, if for instance, if I have this Shakespeare text, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, I come to bury Caesar not to praise him. So how to make that come alive is I need to imagine that I'm talking to someone And I'm saying, okay, friends, do you get it? Are you with me? Romans, are you still with me? So I'm sort of saying that out loud. Countrymen, did you get that? Lend me your ears. Are you with me? I come to bury Caesar. Are you still following me? Hmm? Not to bury him, to praise him. Sorry. Are you still with me? So I sort of make my brain imagine that I'm talking with someone and then I take that spoken question and I'm sort of immaterialized whatever it's called (laughs) Uh, and have this as a non-spoken intention underneath so I just think it so friends Romans countrymen lend me your ears I come to bury Caesar not to praise him and that I can do on my own so I'm sort of imagine are you with me did you get it are you still with me so I sort of take the essence of a dialogue and I transform my monologue into a dialogue. And that's what we do as people. We do not have monologues, nothing. They do not exist. We speak with people and that's a dialogue. So when you practice at home, imitate the dialogue because then it will make sense.
1: Yeah. I guess that also, so I tried for the first time to... Uh, to uh, record a course where I had a teleprompter. Yeah. And that felt very unnatural. Mm-hmm. Because now I was no longer just being my own playful, mm-hmm. but I did get much sharper words and yeah. better words to the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing. I tried to imagine someone sitting on the other side mm-hmm. and then I was actually speaking to someone so yeah. that I had that feeling, but it was still more unnatural to actually. Would you recommend not doing a teleprompter and then just
0: it's kind of temperament, uh, who you are and, and how you can cope with uh, things that will help you. I mean, a telepompter should be a help. Yeah. But when you have those kinds of tools, you need to practice with them so that you master them. Yeah. Because, for instance, our queen, she has a manuscript. And, and suddenly, one year, she was, when she did the New Year's speech, the, the papers got mixed up. So, yes, she had her help. But there, it failed her. So you see, we can't sort of say, yes, I got all the tools to help me. Yes, it's going to function for me. We still need to be present and uh, have practice with it so that we know how it works and, and all that. So, uh, yeah, tools are good, but you need to sort of let them be a help. Yeah. For instance, also, if you have a microphone, if you're in a big room and, and say, oh, I need a microphone. Then we have a tendency to, to really turn on volume because then I, I, don't, I don't need to speak very loud because then the microphone will help me. And uh, by doing that, I sort of disconnect to my body and uh, yes, the microphone will help me, the loudspeakers help me with volume, but there's one thing that the microphone can't help you with and that's tempo. So you really need to still listen for your echo in the room. Auditory feedback from your own voice or the mic, the, the, the loudspeakers, so that you can adjust your tempo to that specific room. So you still need to listen, mm. even though you have a microphone. Beautiful. And don't let the microphone harry you. I mean, you've got a voice, you've got a body, and it works. So let it work, because that creates the presence on stage. I mean, if I'm in the, the, the opera house out here, I'm looking at someone down there, And I hear that sound coming out of the loudspeakers, sort of, yeah, it's like I'm in the radio, I'm listening, but that thing that I'm looking at on the stage is not connecting with me. So I can't feel that person speaking, I can only hear that person, I can't feel. And it's when I connect to the speaker in the room, and I can feel that person, I connect to the content much more than if I'm just listening.
1: So a big part of your work is getting people present and actually feeling themselves. Yeah. Which is, I guess, at least for my own experience, it's always like when you connect to someone. Mm. What about the more or the other technical parts? Is that something that's like, that's so simple? It's just like, you know, that you have to do or like how you move with your body or is that something you go into as well?
0: Yeah, but I all all the time have that focus that how do you feel? Yeah. Can you feel different?
1: You can also see the difference on someone like try the like they learn like I need to use my hands. Yeah. And it, it looks so unnatural. I was told like one of the reasons why hands look unnatural is if it doesn't hit the, the rhythm. So like when you need to use your hands it needs to hit the rhythm of your voice as well.
0: Yeah because actually our gestures go ahead of our voices. Because our hands are our old language. It's the first language we as humans learn, learned in our evolutionary travel. So our gestures become, comes a little before, milliseconds before the words, because our gestures is sort of building, sort of kind of imaginary and legal. Yeah. And then our gestures, what have I just built? And then our voices put the label on what I've just built with my gestures. And if it comes at the same time, it's unauthentic. Yeah. So instead of telling you what to do with your hands, I would rather invite you to use your hands. So, so having those principles underneath, why are we using our hands to create images in people? So for instance, if you're peeling an orange, so uh, could you explain to me how you peel an orange? Well, then you take your hand, yes. Yeah, then you show just... me, yeah, you show me with your hands, you have this imaginary uh, orange here. So what we do then is, okay, if you are going to do a lecture on how to peel an orange, we take a, a, a tangible orange. We, oh, what am I doing? Okay, then we have the imaginary orange and then, yes, and then we write it down. And then I edit my content and then I edit again and then I learn it by heart. But we still need to make those words be linked to the orange. They are empty words if you do not think of the orange wow. while you speak. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, so so to make people use your gestures is inviting them to use them instead of, oh, then you need to do this and then you need to do that. And then it becomes really sort of what's happening to those guys? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You see that when you're like, yeah, pissed
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a person's disconnected to the content. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it becomes too much. But yeah, that's like everything. If you don't, if you don't have the balance, like you hear one advice, and whether it's food or anything else, like you need to have that balance. Is something yeah. that seems seems authentic or feels yeah. authentic.
0: Yeah, it feels authentic because what I need to do if I'm coaching you, yeah. whatever. I need to make myself redundant. You need to work with yourself. You need to know when you're there. Yeah. Because if I tell you, oh, this is the right tempo. Or, no, this is not the right tempo. It's too slow. This is too fast. No, your pauses need to be a little longer. No, at least, now that was too long. Or you need to do this with your hand. Then you think more about me judging you when you're there instead of being with yourself. So what do you feel? Does this make sense? Can you feel the difference? How does your body feel now? Mm. How did you do that? What happened there? So make people aware and connect to themselves so they don't need me. I know it's a hell of a business plan, but it works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Makes sense. What about uh, for all of the, um, what would you say, people that have, um, some language as the first and then have to speak in another language yeah. whether it be English, mm. um, Italian, Spanish and so on but let's just stick to English to start with mm. what are some good tips to, to get that more natural voice and that better accent because
0: uh, uh, well it's sort of nil on my edge uh, yeah. um, of my knowledge but what I do um, with for instance uh, Danish speaking people who yes. need to speak English in a more fluent way is that work with the principles of how to make you articulate clearly. And that is focusing, for me, it's focusing on the resonance of, of your voice um, and becomes a little technical. But instead of focusing on details, on this, this sound is like this and yes. the sound is like this. And uh, sort of make uh, a, a sort of a space where where articulation is good. Yeah. So uh, away again away from the details and focusing on a uh, on something that you can do all the time that will create that clear and fast articulation, even though it's unfamiliar.
1: Yeah. It's sometimes difficult, and so I've figured out at least my girlfriend comes along mm-hmm. and i speak more from my stomach when i speak danish mm-hmm. than when i speak english yeah and but my accent is very dependent on who i talk to yeah so and who have been around for a while yeah so i can have a fairly nice accent or i can have a very broken mm-hmm. english danish Danish yeah. <laughs> accent <laughs> yeah and um, which is quite fascinating like how because your voice also feels very much like your identity
0: yeah yes it does
1: so especially when you have to speak another language, then mm. you kind of step into a new identity yeah. that might not necessarily be as much as who you are as a person. No. Right? That
0: and That's that's because we, we sort of monitor ourselves by listening to our old voices. We know that morning when we wake up and our throat is sore, <laughs> oh, I feel sick today. <laughs> yeah. So we sort of, who am I? Am I my own good self while I'm listening to myself? So we monitor ourselves because... That's a way we connect to who we are. And when we speak in a different language, a foreign language, it's completely right that you say, I'm sort of not that person, it's a foreign person. Who is that? And also the reason why we go up into our heads is that we sort of, the words are not there, you know, how do you say this? Uh, Is this the right word? So we get very intellectual and that's why we sort of disconnect to our bodies. Yeah.
1: Makes sense that's probably at least what I can resonate with that my accent is better going back to stuff you said earlier when you feel very at ease mm.
0: but there's also something else at stake here is that um, we mirror each yes. other yeah so uh, you know if if I'm with people who speak I'm sort of okay is this what we sound like here so I mix in with that group I mirror the other people that is in this group and I say okay if I sort of imitate this, I must be part of this group. Yeah. And then we we'll go into another group and say, okay, oh, this is how we speak in, in here. And we do it all the time. Uh, it's just when we speak in the foreign language, becomes very aware of what's happening. But right. we do it also in, in Danish. We do it all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you have people coming from Jutland When they're in Copenhagen, yeah. they speak more that accent. Mm. When they're back in Jutland, mm. they might go back to speaking that accent.
0: Yeah. And also, people get, oh, you've been to Copenhagen. Mm, yeah. I can hear that. <laughs> but also, when we go back to our native, our know, child's home or whatever, so then it snaps like that. And then we're yeah. back home. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes nonsense. <laughs> <long> <laughs> yeah. It happens with our body as well that we're mirroring, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think for me, the, um, the less strong the core is, the easier it is to just kind of flow to mirroring other people where at least for my voice. I don't I haven't been that much in Jutland, but I imagine that a small stable where at least my second language, English, is much more determined on have I been around Australians, have I been around people that also have a second language, then it becomes much more broken. Have I been around Americans, then it's it becomes more one more the the dialect, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's also awesome because we've learned English late in our lives so, where our native language is from our childhood, and that is, I mean, I think it's something about that you need to, to learn a language before you turn into the teens, uh, because when you go into the teenage years, then uh, our body says, okay, now we practice, uh, we've sort of summed up everything, and now we're going that path. Yeah. So so uh, its I think it's about, well, just when you go into teenage years, uh, then you... It's very difficult to learn a language without having slight accent of some kind from your native speaking.
1: Yeah, takes more work, but still possible, yep. but just more work.
0: Yeah, well, well, also if if you're going to learn to play a violin, you can't make that speed if oh. you learn playing the violin after the teens. You need to have it in through the childhood because that's where the, the connections in your brain yeah. comes, and you can't. I mean, you can practice, but, but you can't get that speed. No. You can be fast, but you can't get the same speed as if you were taught as a child.
1: So violin, I have to give up that. Uh... Well, you
0: can play good like violin, but uh, oh. yeah. It makes sense. Yeah.
1: This time is running. I promise you could get to your next meeting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where can people find uh, more about you?
0: Well, my my website, uh, voiceincovered.dk. Yeah. I also have a blog, but that's in Danish. I have a LinkedIn profile where I sometimes also write in English where people also can get some tips and tricks from me. So, uh, yeah.
1: I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. You do one-on-one coaching and workshops?
0: Yeah, Uh, and also lectures. uh, So, um, yeah, it's a whole variety of teaching, yeah.
1: Yeah, and when I met you the first time, that was actually at uh, a company workshop where we were taking turns on getting... uh, Time to practice on how we presented best for clients, or yeah. if we're doing workshops yeah. and so on. Mm. So that's the kind of work as well.
0: Yes, that is. I, I do a lot of pitch training, uh, so for startups and all that. And, yeah. yeah,
1: fantastic. Mm. Well, Lisbeth, thank you so much for coming. Thank you
0: for inviting me.